All right, guys, as you grab your seats, we're going to continue in our series, the book of John. I mean, John chapter 1, starting verse 35. If you want to grab your Bibles and turn there. We'll be camping out today. All right. What is a fan? What is a fan? You know, I'm a fan of a lot of things. I'm a fan of the Carolina Panthers, even though they're looking more like the Bengals these days. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. It's all bad. But I'm still a fan. Fan of the Bengals, too. Bengals look better, honestly. They are. But what is a fan? What is a fan? A fan is someone who will cheer passionately for their team or for their guy, right? Or their girl. A fan will post on social media about their support for whatever they're a fan of, their team, in good times and in bad. A fan will have pictures of their team, maybe in their office or in their home or at least on their phone. A fan will defend their team when other people talk bad about them. A fan loves their team. A fan is an enthusiastic admirer, but Jesus was not and is not interested in having fans. Jesus wants followers. Let's pray and read our text. God, we pray you bless your word to the glory and honor of Christ. Help us that we would not be fans of Jesus, but followers. We love you in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Starting in verse 35, the words of our God inspired by the Holy Spirit written by the apostle John say this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak had followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first, he, he first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. It brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip and Nathanael had said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? 
You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of the Lord. See, the men who would become the 12 disciples were ordinary people like you and me. They had jobs, they had families, they had social lives, they had hobbies. They were just normal, everyday people like us. And as they went about their normal day on this day, they uh, had not expected their life to be turned upside down and changed so quickly. The disciples could not have understood what exactly they were getting themselves into when they accepted the call to follow Jesus. Whatever expectations they had, whatever dreams they imagined, whatever doubts or fears or excitements or uncertainties, nothing could have prepared them for the journey that lie ahead. You see, everything about Jesus, everything about Jesus' life from his teaching, the way he treated other people, the way he was compassionate, the wisdom that he had, his, his, his death, his resurrection, would shape every facet and every part of the disciples' lives forever. I mean, think about this. Imagine this. A few years from this moment we just read, where these men meet Jesus, these same men will be standing before some of the most powerful rulers on the face of the earth, being accused of turning the world upside down. See, what began as simple obedience to following Jesus to become his disciples, ending up changing their lives and the world forever. The first thing I want us to understand from the text this morning is that Christians are disciples. If Christians are disciples, then we gotta understand what is a disciple, what does that mean? The word disciple simply means student or apprentice. You see, you can be a disciple of a lot of things, right? Like if there was someone at, at work that uh, in the next few months was going to take your place and you were spending the next few months training them to do your job as you were going to move to another job, you are discipling that person in your job. Discipling is teaching someone to do something else. In the first century, there were a lot of disciples learning a lot of different things from a lot of different people. A disciple was someone who chose to follow this teacher or this rabbi, this person that they wanted to, to be like, and so they would follow them around. They would literally leave their home, go wherever this guy was going, and they could, could have been close to town, could have been across however far, could have been traveling however far, And they would follow them and they would listen to everything they said, learn everything that they did so that one day as they were trained and listened and were taught, they could replicate it. They could do exactly what their rabbi was doing, this teacher was doing. They could do their job. They could take their place. And so they were his disciple in whatever this guy was teaching. So to be a disciple, just kind of big picture disciple, you have to quite literally follow someone else. You are in that moment of becoming a disciple of someone else. You are saying that that person is now your master, your teacher. And wherever they go, you will go and you will do what they tell you to do. I think one major problem in the 21st century is understanding what it means to be a Christian. I think too often we have a very shallow understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. 
And I think America particularly has a difficult time. You see, for the longest time, people in our country have had this thought that to be an American was to be a Christian. And to be a Christian was to be an American. Or at least if you were a good American, you were a Christian. Think about this. I mean, 30 years ago, you could not have made it into public office unless you could tell the world what church you were a member of. And if someone did not go to church, they were looked down upon. Church is what civilized people did. Upstanding members of society went to church. To be a Christian was to want prayer in school and want the Ten Commandments in the courthouse. But what has been happening in our culture over the past 10 years or so is we have seen this dramatic decrease in church attendance. We've seen people leaving the church People attending church less often, and there is a significant decline in church attendance, and it's alarming, right? And all the, all the church people want to say, well, we got to fix this. What are we going to do? we gotta, we got to get these people back, or we got to change what we're doing to get people back in here. But church membership and attendance means nothing in our society nowadays. You don't have to be a church member to, to make it in political office. You can, you can be an atheist. It doesn't matter. You see, for a long time, America was thought to be a Christian nation. But what we actually had was a cultural Christianity, which is a Christianity that is Christian in name only. We had a cultural Christianity, which is to say not Christianity at all. You see, we should not see this decline in church attendance as necessarily a bad thing. In some ways, it's actually a good thing. You see, there were all of these people who were faithfully attending church who were as lost as could be. And at least now, they're no longer playing church and pretending, and we can go after them and love them and serve them and share the gospel with them and say, believe. You see, when Christianity is popular, when Christianity is accepted and integrated into society, it inevitably gets watered down, it gets changed, and it ceases to become Christianity. Interestingly enough, do you know when Christianity thrives, when Christianity explodes? Christianity thrives and explodes in cultures that outlaw it, in in countries that make it illegal. When they beat us, when they imprison us, when they kill us, the church explodes. It is the reason that China has a larger population of Christians than America. The church is advancing at an alarming faster rate in China where it is illegal, where they will arrest you, than it is in America where we have freedom to worship. Why is that? Because when you do not have all of the political garbage and society's garbage watering down what real Christianity is, people hear about the real Jesus. They follow the real Jesus and they are changed by the real Jesus. And they live their whole lives for them and they would die for him. So why do I bring that up? Why do I talk about that? Because real Christians, real Christianity is not marked by on your about page, on your Facebook page, putting Christian, lowercase Baptist, or whatever you put on there, (laughs) Southern Baptist, or whatever. That does not make you a Christian. Real Christians are disciples. 
Real Christians heard when Jesus said, follow me, and they did, they followed. See, church, Christianity is not simply a set of beliefs or principles. Christianity is not simply an ideology. Christianity is about leaving your old life behind, forgetting the past, forgetting what you thought was important, what you thought was valuable, what your priorities were. And you look to Jesus and you say, now he is going to be my master. He is going to be my Lord. I'm going to follow him wherever he goes. I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do. I'm going to listen to everything that he says. And I'm going to follow him and be his disciple. My priorities are now his priorities. My goals are his goals. My future is based on where Jesus is going. If Jesus says jump, we say how high. He's our master and we are his disciples. Where he goes, we go. We learn what he teaches and we do what he does. It is one of the most terrifying things in the world to me that people that I love and care about and maybe people in this room would say, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But to them, it is just simply agreeing to a set of facts like saying, yes, I believe the sky is blue. You see, people, I think, would say, people I love and are dear to me would say that they are big fans of Jesus. They may have pictures of him in their homes. They may post about him on their social media. They might defend him to people who are against him. But they are only admirers and fans. But they're not actually following Jesus. You see, I think I'm afraid a little bit that in our efforts to making it so easy to believe in Jesus and to come, that, that what we have sold people, is a, it, we've sold them short on what it means to accept the call and follow. That we have not enabled people to actually count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. You see, if a, if a Marine recruiter were to come to you, right, because maybe you showed some interest in being a Marine, they would say to you, son, This will be the hardest thing that you will ever do in your entire life. We will push your body to its limit and past it. You will want to quit. Your mind will break and we will reshape it in our image. You will follow orders when you don't like them and you might even cost you your life. But that's what it means to be a Marine. And do you think you have what it takes, son? Do you know what the Marines don't do? They don't go down to the high school and, and talk to the principal and say, hey, we'd like to have an have a, a ice cream social. And, and get everybody, you know, hey, marine ice cream social. Get everybody there and have some ice cream, have some fun, and, and give out some pamphlets and say, hey, guys, we're looking for, to get some new Marines, and, and we think you guys are perfect for us, and y'all would do such a great job. And, and um, it, you know, everybody talks about how hard it is, but, we, you know, we will be there for you, and we will get you through it. It's going to be great. Who wants to sign up? They don't do that. They don't, but you know who does? We do. We do because we are so desperate because we want people to believe in Jesus, which is good and right. Like we, we want people to come to Jesus, right? But what we have ended up doing is selling them short on what it means to believe and follow Jesus. We need to be better at helping people count the cost. Hey, listen, Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me, but if you follow him, all of your priorities will change. 
Hey, Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me and you need to believe in him too. But if you do, you will give your life away to others. Hey, Jesus is the best thing that's ever happened to me and you should believe in him too. But if you do, you will give more time and more money away than you ever thought you could ever do. You will be laughed at, you will be mocked, you will not be taken seriously at work. It might cost you a promotion, it might cost you your job, but you will find that in the end it is all worth it because to know Jesus, everything else falls short of that. It's gonna be the hardest thing you've ever done, but it's gonna be worth it. You wanna go? Or to put it the way Jesus put it, you wanna find life? Come and die. What an invitation. Come and die. Come and die and then live. You know, every time there was a big crowd that would get around Jesus and the disciples are getting all excited, like, yeah, the movement's happening. We're gonna get more money. We're gonna get more support. Like, we're gonna take on the world. Jesus would then say something crazy and scare them all off. Like in John 6, we're gonna get there in a couple weeks, a couple months. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and expository preaching for the win. And, and so, so Jesus, there's all this crowd and the disciples are all excited and then Jesus says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. And they're like. <laughs> right? Like, and the disciples are like, Jesus, you gotta stop saying crazy stuff. What are you doing? <sighs> when Jesus called the disciples, they may not have understood where Jesus was taking them or the impact that it was going to have on their lives, but they knew what it meant to follow. They took Jesus' call literally, and they knew what it meant to go be his disciples and to follow him wherever he went. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. It is to follow our new master wherever he goes, do whatever he says. Christians are not fans, they are disciples. A Christian who is not a disciple is in fact not a Christian at all. The second thing we need to see from the text this morning is that disciples, Christians are disciples and disciples become like their masters. You see, it is impossible, impossible to be a disciple of someone and not end up being like that person. Right? Think about this. Like, like when you, you become like the friends you hang out with, right? Undeniable. You show me your friends, and I can tell you a lot about you. You become like the people you hang around with. Proverbs says, he who hangs with the, he, he doesn't say hangs. Proverbs doesn't say hangs. <laughs> this is like the, <laughs> the new hip version. He who hangs with the wise becomes wise. And Jesus said this in Luke 6.40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. See, that's the whole point of being a disciple of Jesus. We imitate him. We carry on his ministry. And in the process, we, from our effort and his effort, we are becoming like him. We are being conformed into the image of Christ. The goal is that we would become like Jesus. Somehow we have this notion that we can be a Christian and never change. Be a Christ follower and not be like Christ. It's like a follower who doesn't follow. You see, many people want to take on the name of Christ and nothing else. It would be like this. Imagine Jesus walking up to his first followers and saying, hey, would you guys mind identifying yourselves with me in some way? 
I mean, like, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not actually, I don't actually care if you do anything or if you, if you change your life at all, your life. So I'm not really, I don't care about that. I'm just looking for people who are willing to say that they believe in me and they would call themselves Christians. Would y'all do that? That's ludicrous. Because to follow Jesus is to give your life. Because in giving your life, you will get it back completely new. You see, if you truly follow Jesus, you will be changed. The disciples, after spending three years with Jesus, no longer resembled the men they were when they met him. They had been transformed. Let me give you an example, verse 42. So Andrew, he's, he, he was a disciple of John. He sees Jesus and he's like, now that's the guy I gotta follow. I'm gonna go follow him. And the first thing that he does is he goes and he tells his brother, he goes and tells Simon, about Jesus, that he'd met this man, he's the Messiah, you gotta come follow him too. And here's what he said. Simon comes to Jesus, he's like, okay, I'll check out the guy. Simon comes to Jesus, and Jesus says this, verse 42. Simon, the son of John, you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Jesus meets Simon, and he gives him a nickname. He calls him Peter, and we know later, Peter means rock. Now, why do you give someone a nickname? You give someone a nickname based on something about their past or something about part of their personality or uh, something maybe about how they look. Their nickname is based on something about them currently or in their past. Like the, the, the first youth pastor I ever interned under was this dude who was like, I mean, I, he had to be seven foot tall. He was a giant man. Was, hey, man. And his nickname was Tree. And everyone called him Tree. His Facebook said Tree. And funny, his last name was Acres. That was hilarious. And I honestly just thought his name was Tree. It's like, man, that worked out when your parents named you that. Find out later it was his nickname. But it worked, right? I love it when people call really tall people like Tiny. But that was his nickname because of his height. You give nicknames based on things about people. But why does Jesus give Simon the nickname Peter, a rock? It has nothing to do with who Peter is now or about Peter's past, because Peter was nothing like a rock. Peter was emotionally unstable. He would fly off the handle. He was impulsive. He was all over the place. Rock was the opposite of who Peter was. He was the furthest thing from a rock. But when God changes your name, he doesn't do so based on who you are now, but on who he's making you into. Simon, you will be Peter because I will make you into someone who is so steady and foundational that later he would say, on you I will build my church. You are the rock on which I will build my church. See, to follow Jesus is to be transformed. Notice, we do not ever turn to the book of 1 Simon or 2 Simon. We turn to the book of 1 Peter because Jesus does what he says he will do. He promised to transform Peter, and he did. Do you know why we call ourselves Christians? In the early church, it was a derogatory term meant to make fun of the followers of Jesus by calling them little Christs. But by calling ourselves Christians, we take the name of our Savior, knowing that he has saved us to make us like him. 
God is conforming us into the image of Christ so much so that one day when Jesus returns and he makes all things new, on that day we will be fully transformed and perfectly reflect the image, character, and virtue of our Savior. A Christian is a disciple, and a disciple always becomes like their master. And finally, a disciple makes disciples. Notice, after Andrew meets Jesus, what is his immediate response? He went and told his brother. Notice the words in verse 44. He first found his brother. First thing he did, go find my brother. God, tell him about this. Before he did anything else, to the people closest to him, he, he wanted to make sure that they knew we found the Messiah, we found the Savior. We've got the guy, you've got to come meet him. It's interesting. Andrew is mentioned only three times in the entire book of John. And every time Andrew is mentioned, he is bringing someone to Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Philip's response is quite similar. His first response is to go and tell his friend. Immediately he goes and tells his friend. Notice that both of these men uh, go and tell people that are important to them. They knew this news was so important, so life-changing and world-altering that they had to immediately go tell the people that they loved. So why do you think it is for us that we have a hard time sharing this message of Jesus with the people who are closest to us? If it is indeed life-altering and world-changing, why do we have a difficult time sharing with the people we love? See, no one ever comes to Christ on their own. No one ever comes to Christ in a vacuum. People come to know and be transformed by Christ because someone told them about him. But some of you have a different problem. Some of you, it's not that you're scared to talk about Jesus. You, 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 you might talk about him too much if that's a possibility. But you, you talk about him all the time. You, you, anybody who wants to listen, you'll talk. The problem is you run into people who don't care what you have to say. They don't want to listen to you. They want nothing to do with the Jesus you spout on about. Some of you have, have friends and family and children and grandchildren who are far from the Lord and, and you would talk about him any chance you had, but you feel like he goes in one ear and out the other. Or they, just, they don't want any of that mumbo jumbo. I want to be encouraging to you. Notice, notice what happens with Philip's friend Nathaniel. He goes and he tells Nathaniel about Jesus, but Nathaniel is skeptical. Nathaniel is not buying the news. See, Nathaniel knows the Bible, and he knows the, in the Bible that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, and he said Jesus of Nazareth. So what good could come from Nazareth? Because the Messiah should be from Bethlehem, and he doesn't know the Christmas story yet. But do you know do you know why Nathaniel ended up coming to meet Jesus? Why did Nathaniel even come give Jesus a shot? Philip didn't argue with him. He didn't tell him all the ways that he was wrong and he misunderstood the situation and he just had to come see. He says something that is so practically helpful. Philip says to his friend simply, Come and see. Don't take my word for it. You come and see for yourself. See, Philip had already met Jesus. Philip had already experienced in the brief encounter that he had 
the life-altering, changing, the world-turning-upside-down thing of who this man was. So he says, come and see for yourself. See, Philip couldn't take all of his excitement and all of his all of the joy and all of the, all the things that he was feeling, he couldn't just take those and put them in Nathaniel and say, see? And so he simply says, come and see for yourself. And here's what's amazing about that. Philip is so confident in Jesus that he is the Savior and that to know Jesus and to follow him would be the most amazing thing in the world. Philip has already been changed by Jesus and for him, there's no turning back. And so when Philip knows Nathaniel, will only come if he sees for himself. He knows that if Nathaniel gives him a try, if Nathaniel would just come and see him, that Nathaniel will see what Philip sees. Reminds me of Psalm 34 that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and see, taste and see. Maybe instead of arguing with people, we say, I'll give you this challenge. You come give Jesus a real shot. You come and taste him. And once you taste him, he will ruin you for anything less. And you will never turn away. You see, the confidence Philip had in his own experience with Jesus, that he had the confidence that if only his friend would come and see and taste Jesus, he would believe as Philip did. He knows Jesus can handle himself. Jesus is strong enough, powerful enough to get through to Nathaniel. And Jesus didn't disappoint. In one conversation, Jesus displays for Nathaniel his power, and Nathaniel believes and follows. All Jesus had to do was go, hey, man, I saw you sitting under this tree. Okay, you got me. I'm in. <laughs> that was easy. Church, we are disciples of Christ, and it is not our job to invite people to church merely. It is not our job to simply come and uh, just volunteer at all the events we do, though that's good. Our job is to be in the world. We gather on Sundays to be encouraged and filled up so that we can scatter Monday through Saturday where we live, work, and play and make disciples. Here's the thing that the church, not just our church, but churches have, have gotten wrong. I think so often our thought is we're paying other people to do that for us. Isn't that what we pay the pastor for? And what, don't we pay the youth guy to disciple our kids for us? But God has called you as a disciple to go and make other disciples. Notice I didn't say converts. See, we've also done this thing where we get excited and we go out and we share the gospel and we lead people to the Lord and we bring them to the church and we say, okay, let's get them baptized and then bam. On to the next one. And here's this new believer like, what do I do now? But to disciple them, as Jesus would say later, to teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. To, from start to finish, not only just lead them to the Lord, but then to systematically begin to teach them what it means to follow Jesus. See, we do this all the time. 
There are many of you in this room who teach, who coach sports teams. Whether it be upward or baseball or, or, or basketball, football, volleyball, whatever, you coach it. When you're coaching, do you know what you're doing? You are discipling. You are teaching people, you're throwing the ball wrong, throw it like this. Watch me. Do as I do. That's discipling. You do it at work. When you train people to do a job. You do it with your kids. When you take your kid out and teach them how to ride a bike. That is discipling. You are teaching them to do something. But guys, we've got to do it with the most important thing in the world. We've got to disciple people to be followers of Jesus. And if you can do it on the ball field, if you can do it at home, and if you can do it at work, certainly you can do it for Jesus. Certainly, you can take all the areas of your life and teach people how to follow Jesus. It is time that we begin to make disciples of Christ. Fully mature disciples. So church, here's my question. Are you a fan of Jesus or are you a disciple of Jesus? Are you a fan who will post about him, who will defend him, who will sing about him, might have pictures in your house? But when the rubber meets the road, you don't follow. Or are you a disciple? says, Jesus, my life is yours, and whatever you want to do with it, I will follow. Wherever you lead, I'll go. Are you a fan or are you a disciple? And if you're a disciple, you will become like your master, and you will make other disciples, because that's what your master is training you and calling you to do. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to, t- to do some self-evaluation about where we're at. I pray that you would give us the, the strength to be honest with ourselves and about our own walk with you. And, and maybe there are some of you in this room, and you would say, man, you know what? If I was really honest with myself, I, am, I, am, I have just been a fan of Jesus. Like, I like Jesus a lot. I think he's great. I think the whole idea is great. I'm for it. But if you're honest, you would, you would look and you would say, man, but I'm not really following him. I'm not really obeying, living in obedience and going where he wants me to go and doing what he wants me to do and giving my life to him. That's you this morning. There's some men in the corners, and I'll be up front. We just want to pray with you and just give you the tools and help you and come alongside of you and say, brother, we've been there, sister, we've been there. We want to help you follow. We know it's hard. The hardest thing in the world. Let's walk beside each other and do this together. Some of you in the stream, you would say, yeah, I think I've been a fan and I'm not even really his. I'm not a believer. I'm not saved. I've never given my life to him and I want to do that today. We want to help you do that. If you're in this room and you say, man, you know what, I know I'm a disciple and I've just, I've been so scared to make other disciples or I don't have the tools to do it, I don't know how to do it. We want to give you those tools and we want to help you do that too. So come and let us help you do that. 
Anytime you got somebody you're trying to do that with, you let me know. Let me help you. God, I pray you give us the strength and the courage this morning to respond the way you are prompting us in our hearts right now. Maybe we just need to come and pray and say, God, would you give me boldness and courage to, to follow you in ways I haven't done before? Or God maybe, God, maybe give us the courage to come and say, Brent, I have been a fan, and I don't want to be a fan anymore. I want to be a disciple. Man, that'd be awesome. Whatever you're at this morning, if you just need to stand and sing and say, Jesus, you are so good. Thank you for calling me. Do that. But let's just respond in worship or come. Men on the sides, I'm up front. We'd love to pray with you, talk with you. If you want to do that, God, give us the courage to do that. God, help us respond as you would lead us. In Jesus' name we pray all these people said.